Welcome to the Good Fight Radio Show, a program dedicated to bringing you vital and uncompromised truths that you won't hear in the mainstream media, discussing contemporary issues in light of the Bible and how these issues relate to family, culture, and the church. The heart of this show is to glorify Jesus Christ and expose the works of darkness as he is commanded in Ephesians 5.11. Now here's your host, Good Fight Ministries' own Chad Davidson. Welcome back to the Good Fight Radio Show. I'm your host, Chad Davidson of Good Fight Ministries. And with me, as always, is the show's producer, Tony Palacio. How are you doing today? I am so blessed in the Lord. And we made it through 2020, and we made it through the second week to the second week. (laughs) Just barely. 2021. (laughs) We're working on it. No, but, you know, we're really excited because, you know, we're coming to the end of this week. But one of the cool things here... Uh, about this week was that we got Joe back this week. So you guys get to hear a couple of shows from Joe. And you know, hopefully, you know, we want to, we don't want to push him too hard because that did happen to Joe where he was pushed too hard right in the beginning. So um, it's really cool to be able to have him back talking. I can tell you from, from my point of view, and I know Tony's the same, it's really nice having him. One, Amen. both yeah. of us, he's our pastor. You know, it's who we've been discipled by. It's who we've learned by. Um, whose God has used and to how I came to the Lord it was through Joe's ministry. So just that alone, the discipleship portion of it was just incredible. In fact, I was getting my haircut uh, underground, you know, down here in, in <laughs> Southern California. You got to do the underground haircutting. But I walked in and um, the person cutting my hair was listening to the message from Sunday that Joe did. And she's like, I'm just going to listen to this message like every day, just once a day, you know, because it was really good. Um, uh, When Joe came back and gave uh, the sermon and of course, Joe being Joe, you know, he's like, we're going to keep it shorter. As he's saying that, it's like 1026, right? So he's already in an hour of teaching. And he's like, as he's saying it, yeah, so we're going to start, we'll finish by 1030 now, you know, know, so it'll be a little easier on on me and everybody. And yeah, 1045, you know. Uh, (laughs) He was excited to be back. So it's understood. It's so nice to be back in fellowship too. For sure. so yeah, yeah. these things are so important. I, I you know, I'm, I'm going to go right into Genesis. So it's, it, I'm going to be talking about that to start this show. But uh, <laughs> my hip just popped. <laughs> I guess I'm getting older too. Um, but it's so good to have Joe back. And I hope you guys are as blessed as I am when uh, we come out. And of course, with Joe, instead of coming back and just giving a nice update about what he's been up to, he came out throwing some fires uh, this week. So praise God. It's so good to, to have him back. And and hopefully we'll continue to get him back. I even talked to him about some of the projects we're working on separately. I'm like, man, you're like ready. Like, I'm going to give you the questions for the Islam project and you're going to be ready. And um, I know we're switching to video now. So you guys are going to see I'm please keep me in prayer. I have to grow a beard. And for me, not only is it very difficult, um, I think, uh, I hope I don't lose any listeners here. My wife and Joe has done this to me a number of times that I hate cats. It's not that I hate cats. I don't like them. I, 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 I love God's creation. Uh, I think my favorite animal is a jaguar, but, uh, but you know, and they're kind of like a big giant cat or whatever. But, but nonetheless, uh, I'm not a big fan of them. And so uh, I happen to, with my facial hair, grow cat whiskers. And so I have to trim and do all this stuff. But the reason I'm doing that, and I bring that up because I was talking about the Islam Project, getting Joe uh, to do some of the stuff with me, um, is I'm growing out my facial hair. And and now uh, it looks a little weird and it's really uncomfortable. But uh, I remember we had went to the conference, uh, to the Islamic conference, and there was a debate between Anthony Rogers and Dr. Shabir, Shabir Ali. And Anthony Rogers, you know, was in the debate. You know, he had a nice beard going on. And then literally, the, he, he, he debated twice in one day. 
And right after we went out to lunch, we come back and Anthony comes back and his face is shaven. Yeah. And I'm like, Anthony, what's going on here? Why, why is your face shaven? You know, you just finished debating. And you're like, I got to shave, you know? And he's like, well, I only was growing it out because most Muslims will not even listen to you if you don't have facial hair. Mm. He's like, so that's why I was growing it out. And I'm like, well, if Timothy can get circumcised, I can have a little embarrassing facial hair. So, you know, uh, to witness the Jews, I'm trying to witness the Muslims. So nonetheless, I'm really, really excited about that. But I want to talk in this episode uh, about an important topic, because when it comes to sin, I, I, I think we really need to understand who is to blame a lot of times. And I think this is not something new. And I got to be honest, I've given a similar message, but a little bit different a uh, number of times at different drug drug rehabs. I've given this message um, at Teen Challenge as well as the Rescue Mission. And it's something really, really important because uh, as many of you guys know who have dealt with uh, people with addiction issues, and I myself before coming to Christ had addiction issues, one of the problems with addiction is that Satan does an excellent job of getting people convinced that it's other people's faults. He does an excellent job. In fact, one of the guys um, at one of our events uh, literally was just looking at the event and then saw me, and I I picked him up and took him, I literally took him to my house while I was supposed to be getting mic'd up for the show to, to preach from the show. And I drove him to my house because he said he had heroin and methadone on him uh, and meth. And I said, okay, I want to throw it away as far as possible from here. So I drove to the other side of the city and then I threw it away in the dumpster and then drove him back to the other side of the city where the event was on. And I wanted to make sure that he, if he had to go get those drugs, they were way far away. And I put them in one of the trash cans so he wouldn't know which one it was, right? And I remember talking with him and the, first it was, it's my parents, it was my mom, it was now then it's it's God's fault right and this was this is a normal maturation of blame this is something that takes place over and over again when you talk to somebody my wife did this or this person did this or that person did this and therefore I went into sin uh, in fact we were just talking about one teacher and I remember listening to his testimony uh, and he talked about how when his father died he drank himself into a vomiting stupor where he vomited all over himself and he said, I, I did not drink because my dad died. I allowed the flesh and I allowed the enemy to get in to convince me to go get into a drunken, vomit-filled stupor. And he used my dad's death to do that. And that's something that is, is so common, guys. We just did a message on suicide on, was it 511 News or this one? I'm not remembering which one it was on. It was on 511 News or this show. Oh, yeah, it was 511 News. Don't commit suicide. Uh, the devil wants you to. And then we went through Job, and you saw all the different ways, attacking his finances, attacking his workers, attacking his own family, and then attacking his health. And these are all different ways that the enemy comes to convince you to sin against God. He'll even send sometimes a woman to tell you to curse God and die. Sometimes he just sends a woman in a miniskirt. Think about Proverbs 5, the adulterous woman, you know, that her her, li her lips drip of honey, but uh, in her is bitter as gold, you know, her, and it's like, guys, it's death over and over again. And Satan will use, as it says in Ephesians 2, 2, the, the, uh, the children of disobedience to come after and wage war against us. So we need to recognize these things, see the enemy's tactics and say, okay, Lord, we don't want to fall into that. So... 
what is the first thing that man does when he's called out for his sin? In fact, what is the first thing the woman does? I think this is a tactic that a lot of people do. Well, the devil made me do it, right? That's what the woman says. It was the serpent. (laughs) It was the serpent that was deceived me. And it does tell us in the New Testament, in commentary on this, that it was the woman that was deceived here, right? So she was deceived. She allowed herself to be deceived, and she took her eyes off and even added to, um, interesting that she kind of adds to God's commands where she says that you can't even look at it, right? Not just you can't eat it. But nonetheless, she does partake, and then her husband partakes of it. And so for the first thing you have is the woman blaming, in Genesis chapter 3, the woman blaming the serpent. And we know in the book of Revelation and elsewhere that the serpent is Satan. So the woman goes and blames Satan. A lot of people do do that, okay? They do blame Satan for when they stumble and fall, when they commit sins against an almighty God. And Satan, without a doubt, is on the attack and he is using every single thing he can possible to get you to fall into sin. And then, what does the man do? The first words the man said after God came to him, right? Who told you you were naked? Who did yourself? As who told you you're naked? Have you eaten from the tree of life? I command you. The man says, "The woman." Those are his first words, right? It's that woman, but it doesn't stop there. So many people will be like, "Look, he blamed his he blamed his wife for going into sin and doing this." No, that's not who he blames. It was the woman you gave to me. So the first thing that he does. And this is something that has been passed down, apparently, from our great, 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 great grandfather, Adam, that we blame God for the sins we commit, right? In fact, Lady Gaga has a whole song about it, right? Born this way. So many people, so often when it comes to sin, that is their excuse. Well, God made me this way. Why did God make me gay? Why did God make me a sexual deviant? Why did God make me a drunkard? Why did God make me this? Guys, we, have, we live in a fallen world. We live in a world where the ground was cursed, <laughs> guys. Man was cursed. Woman was cursed. We were all cursed. And guess what? Yes, our inclinations can be towards sin, but you are not supposed to give in. In the, the book of Hebrews, it talks about those who are giving in even before they've been to the point of bloodshed concerning sin. So there are some that aren't even to the point of bloodshed and they're still falling into sin. We shouldn't be this way. We should recognize what we have in the Holy Spirit. And we should recognize that we have to decide. God allows us in his sovereignty to decide whether or not we are going to fall into it. You think of the very next chapter of this, you have the first murder, right? Cain and Abel. But what did God do with Cain? He said to him very clearly, the very before he would go and kill his own brother because of, I believe, jealousy, before he would go and do that, God came to him, said, sin is crouching at the door. It's desirous for you, but you must, must, Master it. You must master it. If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? Will you not have your countenance lifted up? Will you not be accepted? This is exactly what God gives to us, the opportunity to turn from sin. And he gives us the power to do it through his word. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, it says that there is no temptation, which is not common to man. There's nothing in this world, no temptation that other people haven't gone through. But guess what? 
that God would give you the strength that you may endure it. So yes, God will give you what you cannot handle on your own. (laughs) That's the whole point of it, right? Recognizing that we can't handle this on our own and we need God. We need him so badly to be our helping aid so that we will just hop up and you're out of the level. No, that we may endure it, that we may endure it. It's so important to us and that we don't cast the blame on someone else. But check this out. Don't worry, because what we have over and over again, and I believe Stephen brought this out in such an amazing fashion in the book of Acts at his sermon before his death, giving a a chronology of kind of, you know, the open view of the the Old Testament and just preaching it out to uh, the Jews there, the Pharisees at that time, preaching to them, this is the history of Israel. And then he called them the same thing that they were called in Jeremiah, right? Stiff-necked and in Jeremiah 9, I believe it says that the uncircumcised of the heart and he calls them out for this, and he, and he does a great job of this. And I think if we go back, as Ezekiel does here, he's going to call them out for blaming. He, you know, you have Adam blaming blaming ultimately God. You have Eve blaming, blaming Satan. And now here is Ezekiel, in Ezekiel 18, what's going on in Israel. And I want to just kind of go through this with you guys, because Ezekiel 18 is one of my favorite texts, and I'll get to the passage that God kind of open up my eyes about something on when I was a new believer. I mean, maybe a week into faith or a couple weeks into faith um, and something that has always been something like a rock hard, uh, rock solid, rock hard, <laughs> rock solid. I guess uh, solid and hard is kind of synonym. So that works. Uh, a rock solid uh, kind of foundation uh, for my understanding of my forgiveness in Christ. Because um, I do believe one of the ways that the enemy attacks is to remind you of your wickedness, both to shame you for it uh, and also to make you to romanticize it, to try to pull you away from the Lord. But here, here is Ezekiel chapter 18. It says, Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, What do you mean by using this proverb concerning the land of Israel, saying, The fathers eat the sour grapes, but the children's teeth are set on edge? Now, this is important, guys, to read this and to go over this and understand that they were blaming once again the sins of their parents for what was going on with them. Now, this is something that there there is, obviously, when you go through, we talked about generational curses. I'll have Tony put the link on this description. I don't want to get too far into it because I think there's something, some other important parts I want to bring out uh, for this message, uh, for this episode. But when we look back and we look at this this idea, this proverb, we do recognize, even in uh, the Ten Commandments, it talks about, you know, when it comes to the wicked sin that people would commit and visiting uh, the households of the fathers, this is really important to touch on this because, guys, we recognize that when a uh, a father, a grandfather, a great-grandfather, when all of them are drunkards, typically that is passed down. And over and over again, you see families, um, you know, fallen into the same sin that their fathers would. They are not judged as we're going to get salvifically for the sins of their fathers, but we recognize the effects of what happens by the sins of your parents. In fact, aborted babies are affected quite, quite a bit from their parents choosing to murder them. So we recognize those things. But God is trying to get something else out here in the text. And he's saying, 
What do you mean this proverb? As I live, declares the Lord God, verse 3, you are surely not going to use this proverb in Israel anymore. It's done. Do not be using this proverb anymore. Stop blaming what is taking place and what's going on with you on what has happened with your parents. This is, we don't want trailer hitch theology. And I, and, I, and I try to bring this out, especially teaching to young people. Young people, a lot of times when they come to church, it's because their parents have gone, right? Their parents have been going and they want to bring, the, bring their kids up in the Lord. In fact, that's been a, a wonderful way that so many people have come to faith because they said, you know what? My kids need some sort of foundation. So because they need a foundation, I'm going to start going to church. And then next thing you know, they hear the word of God. And uh, faith comes by hearing, hearing the words of Christ. And we're saved by grace through faith, and that's how people come to faith a lot of times. And I think that's great. Now, it's happening less and less because our culture has demeaned the Christian faith in America, at least in our area. I'm, I'm sure it's true in a lot of people's country, in Canada and so forth, um, but has demeaned the faith where the faith now, Christian faith, true Christian faith, is now so mismerched in our culture. In fact, I was just listening to uh, the Cuomo, not the governor, but the CNN reporter, and uh, he was calling somebody a Bible boy. Uh, I think it was Marco Rubio, the Bible boy, always quoting scripture, but never speaking truth to power. So cool, man. You're so cool over there, uh, you know, talking about Bible boys and whatnot. But anyways, our culture no longer looks at Christianity as something that is good. It's not even like, oh, they need to start going to church. It's like, no, they need some new age program is what they need, which is totally fine by me. The culture should look at, I, I think the culture should look at Christianity as something that is different than the world. The culture should look at Christianity in that way. It's just sad that that's where we come to in this country, that it's no longer something that is, hey, we look at that and, and want that esteem, and that when somebody's going to church, it's a good thing. Typically, it's a bad thing. They're so judgmental as you're smoking your bong load. But anyways, verse 4, behold, all souls are mine. The soul of the Father as well as the soul of the Son is mine. The soul whose sins will die. Now, that is the basic thesis of this entire chapter. The soul that sins will die. It's up to you. You're the one. Don't blame your parents. And I love it because it's such a beautiful text because he's going to give you every scenario when it comes to your family. And just point back also, when you look at this text, think of, think of Paul's sermon because this is right to Jews, right, of going on in Israel. But think of Paul's sermon to Mars Hill telling them quite clearly that from Adam, the first human, Adam and Eve, you have every single quote-unquote race, right? There's only one race. It's the human race. And it goes out, right? And then it says that you have been placed in, in that family that you're in, in the place of habitation, in the time that you're born, in all of those things, for one purpose, that you may seek, grope, and find God. That is what you are on this earth for. And I bring this back because it parallels to the idea that all the souls are God's. He is the one. All the souls are mine. The soul of the Father and the soul of the Son is mine. The soul whose sins will die. So ultimately, you are the one. God has allowed you to have this choice on whether or not you are going to follow him, whether or not you're going to seek after him as you would find treasure and precious silver and come to the knowledge of God as Proverbs 2 four, uh, through 5 says. That's something that we need to do, that God has given us that right to know and to love him and to reject him. Verse 5, but if a righteous and uh, if, if a man is righteous and practices justice and righteousness and does not eat 
at the mountain shrines or lift up his eyes to idols of the house of Israel, defile his neighbor's wife or approach a woman during her menstrual period. If a man does not oppress anyone but restores to the debtor his pledge, does not commit robbery, but gives his bread to the hungry and covers the naked with clothing. If he does not lend money on interest or take increase, if he keeps his hand from iniquity and executes true justice between man and man, if he walks in my statutes and my ordinances so as to deal faithfully, he is righteous and he will surely live, declares the Lord. Remember, that is the response of the soul that sins will die. But here's the righteous man. So we are given a righteous man. And he tries to give it in great detail there. So we have this righteous man and God says he is righteous and will surely live, declares the Lord. Verse 10. So now we go from basically, we'll call him the father, the righteous father. Here he is the son. Then he may have a violent son who sheds blood and does any of these things to a brother, though he himself did not do any of these things. That is, he even eats at the mountain shrines and defiles his neighbor's wife, oppresses the poor and the needy, commits robbery, does not restore a pledge, but lifts up his eyes to the idols and commits abomination. He lends money on interest and takes increase. Will he live? He will not live. He has committed all these abominations and he will surely be put to death. His blood will be on his own head. Very clearly, guys, what is being said is that there is no trailer hitch theology. If you're someone who thinks that you're going to get in to heaven on the 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 ride of your parents and you think, I can just hitch in onto this ride and I'll get on in and I'm going to live unrighteously, God is saying, I'm putting an end to this theory. This, this proverb should be not said in either way, right? That I get in for their righteousness. The pro, you know, it shouldn't say the fathers eat sweet grapes either, Right? And our, and our teeth are, are nice and, and plentiful. No, that's not what it should say. He's saying, no, let's put an end. But boom, we're going to go from the unrighteous and now we get the new son, right? Now behold, he has a son who, who has observed all of his father's sins which he committed and observing does not do likewise. So now once again, we're also not going to hitch our trailer to hell either. Verse 15, he does not eat at the mountain shrines or lift up his eyes to the idols of the house of Israel or defile his neighbor's wife or oppress anyone or retain a pledge or commit robbery, but he gives his bread to the hungry and covers the naked with clothing. He keeps his hand from the poor, does not take interest or increase, but executes my ordinances and walks in my statutes. He will not die for his father's iniquity. He will surely live. As for his father... Because he practiced extortion, robbed his brother, and did what was not good among his people, behold, he will die for his iniquity. So once again, he wants to point out very clearly, this son is not going to die because of his father's iniquity. Not only does he give you the beginning, but the end as well. Don't forget, the father may be wicked, and he will die for his iniquity. The son will not. Yet you say, why should the son not bear the punishment for his father's iniquity? When the son has practiced righteousness, uh, justice and righteousness and has observed all my statutes and done them, he shall surely live. The person who sins will die. The son will not bear the punishment for the father's iniquity, nor will the father bear the punishment of the son's iniquity. The righteousness of the righteous will be upon himself and the wickedness of the wicked will be upon himself. But, I love this. Here's where we get some really cool stuff. If you've been walking in unrighteousness, Here's the but for you, okay? But 
if the wicked man turns from all his sins, which he has committed, and observes all my statutes and practices justice and righteousness, he shall surely live. He shall not die. And now I, I want to point out verse 22, because this is the verse that for me personally has been written so deeply into my heart and embedded because I know for me personally, I had this you know, this idea of salvation of, I'm so glad that I'm got in, but I recognize my shame and I, I felt so much shame for the wickedness that I had practiced before coming to Christ. And still those things that I, you know, obviously fallen short of and I hated them. But there's a difference between practicing righteousness and practicing wickedness. There's a difference between stumbling and practicing, right? And I love this verse because of what it says. I was expecting this big old jumbotron to show all of the people for all eternity, all the wicked things I did, and say, well, at least you got in. And this is what he says. All his transgressions, the wicked man who turns, that's the context, all his transgressions, which he has committed, will not be remembered against him. Because of his righteousness, which he has practiced, he will live. Do I have any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Lord, rather than that he should turn from his ways and live? God asks the question and he gives the answer. I love that. That's our God. He is so good. If you're still walking in unrighteousness, turn now. Turn to Christ. There's no reason to wait. Don't think that you can figure it out. I'll get it on my own. Or don't think, you know what I'm going to do? I'll, I'll practice a little less sin and a little less sin, and then eventually I'll, I'll come to church or something. Guys, don't do that. Just turn right now. It's the time. It's a perfect time. Verse 24, but when a righteous man, ooh, people don't like this part, but when a righteous man turns from his righteousness, commits iniquity, and does according to all the abominations that a wicked man does, will he live? All his righteous deeds God has selective memory here. All his righteous deeds, which he has done, will not be remembered for his treachery, which he has committed, and his sin, which he has committed. For them he will die. Yet you say the way of the Lord is not right. I bet that there's a lot of teachers saying that right now. The way of the Lord is not right. He said that prayer at the altar. How don't you remember that? Hear, O Israel, is my way not right? Is it not your ways that are not right? When a righteous man turns from his righteousness, commits iniquity, and dies because of it, for his iniquity, which he has committed, he will die. Again, when a wicked man turns from his wickedness, which he has committed, and practices just as righteous, he will save his life. Because he considered and turned away from all his transgressions, which he had committed, he shall surely live, he shall not die. But the house of Israel says, the way of the Lord is not right. Are my ways not right, O house of Israel? Is it not your ways that are not right? Man, that could be just mm. plastered up on so many churches today. I'd like a new 95 thesis. Mm. Anyways, uh, <laughs> therefore, I will judge you, O house of Israel, each according to his own conduct. There declares the Lord God. Repent and turn away from all your transgressions so that the iniquity may not become a stumbling block to you. Cast away from all your transgressions, which you have committed, and make yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. For why will you die, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure in the death of anyone who dies, declares the Lord God. Therefore, repent and live. 
Kind of destroys Calvinism a little there, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it destroys a lot of false doctrine. Yes, that's it's true. The first one that came to mind. No, of course it does. You know, it's actually I always put these two together. And typically, you know, when sharing with Second Peter three, when you get to Second Peter three, alongside this, mm-hmm. when you see that God's heart is so clear, God's heart is so clear in Second Peter three nine. He's not slow about his coming. But he's patient, not willing that any would perish, but that all would come to repentance. Amen. You know, I listened to a debate early, um, with a, I was a Calvinist about did God die for all? And he like just threw out at the end these random texts and he said, oh, I think he's talking about the elect there. I'm like, what is he patient for then? He's already, right. it's just so ridiculous. But you look at these texts and the reason why Ezekiel 18 was a walk changer for a new believer was because... Even as a new believer, I, I'd come to know Jesus, dying for my sins, come come to faith. But looking at God's heart here and really seeing that he has no pleasure in the death of the wicked and actually knowing that that's true and it's not some secret decree, right? Right. But that he actually has no pleasure in the death of the wicked rather that they would turn from their ways and live. That's my God. That's the only true God. And that's the one that we turn to and live. Turn today. God bless. You've been listening to the Good Fight Radio Show brought to you by Good Fight Ministries. If you're blessed by this show and would like to partner with us, please consider visiting our Patreon page at patreon.com goodfight. Or you can write to us at P.O. Box 2202, Simi Valley, California, 93062. Or call us toll free at 1-866-JC-TRUTH. That's 1-866-528-7884. We hope you'll tune in next time on the Good Fight Radio Show.